platform for an in-depth look in economic matters with leaders and decision makers. This is BizTalk. Supply chains, the backbone of global commerce. China, an industrial powerhouse with the world's largest manufacturing sector for 13 years in a row. That means China has had a profound impact in shaping global supply chains. From diversifying sourcing strategies to optimizing production processes, resilient, efficient, and smooth supply chains require global cooperation. In a world where the terms decoupling and deglobalization inject uncertainty into global supply chains, how is China working to maintain stability? Join us this week as we explore the future of supply chains. Only on BizTalk. Only on CGTN. Supply chains are pivotal in a company's operations, orchestrating the journey from raw material procurement to manufacturing and final product delivery. They serve as a backbone, ensuring a company can create and deliver its offerings efficiently and effectively. However, concepts like deglobalization, decoupling, and de-risking dominate headlines and challenges the global supply chain network and actions are in urgent need. Yet the questions loom. Who's footing the bill for rebuilding global supply chains? Amid uncertainties, how can companies make sure their supply chains stay strong and reliable? Where does China stand in this global network? In this week's BizTalk, let's find out the answers together. Kuan welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Mike. Nice so, to be here. Great to have you on the program. Tab Food Investments, TFI, you are the fourth largest quick service restaurant operator, independent QSR uh, operator in the world. Uh, this is, of course, your first time at the inaugural China International Supply Chain Expo. And from what we understand, TFI this year, you're displaying your entire industry chain right at the expo. Tell us more about that. That's correct. Actually, uh, making us successful uh, in this business, the QSR business, is our ability to cover 360 degrees the restaurant uh, operation business. In Turkey, Turkey, mm. we are uh, vertically integrated. We have an ecosystem surrounding our restaurant business. We have production facilities. We are producing our own potato, own uh, bread, uh, meat, and doing our own logistics, as well as uh, making uh, the delivery service to our customers. So this entire vertical integrated model enabled us to see where can be the weaknesses, where are the potential areas of improvement in our chain. And of course, for the production facilities, we need to do some agriculture, farming. So all these from soil uh, to the table, we're taking the whole, uh, let's say chain, let's say supply chain. And this enabled us to actually excel in our operations in China, which we entered in 2012, and be able to build this ecosystem without owning it, but having a long-term partners. And we have learned sincerely a lot from our Chinese operations. Mm. And all this digitalization, blockchains, uh, AI, is very important to be able to integrate and 
manage supply chains. Yeah. So we are looking into how we can automate further mm. and uh, make it more accurate, our decisions in our managing our supply chain and how this uh, intelligence can be applied to our business. Yeah. So TFI is the parent company of Burger King. Uh, TFI has, what, around 1,500 Burger King uh, franchises here in the country, Burger King restaurants in China, yeah? So are you, are you saying the French fries at uh, the Burger King restaurants, that's from Turkey? Turkey, exactly. Okay. It comes from Turkey. Yeah. So what kind of experiences have you learned here in the China market in terms of supply chains? Do you think that can be applied on a more global basis? Because it's a very complicated, very vast uh, market here in China. That's correct. And we have good partners for our supply and logistics. And uh, what we are learning from management of the stocks, as well as making the right decisions on the right timing to supply to the restaurants and the needs according to what what is needed in that restaurant. Uh, we are uh, actually uh, looking at our data, analyzing it uh, very thoroughly, and uh, making those decisions. These decisions are mostly taken by the AI experts mm. now, mm. instead of the humans ordering for the next weeks and the AI is making the predictions for sales and trying to match that and get the right kind of order to deliver to the restaurants. How do you think about balancing global sourcing needs with a massive local supply chain operation here in China? We are proud to be able to produce in-house around 50% of what we are serving to our guests mm. in our restaurants. Of course, we are buying, uh, but mostly locally. You know, in our business, value is very important and cost control is very important. So we supply where we operate from yeah. our local uh, sources and we are not dependent on too much from the global side. Only in the potato business, which we are producing in Turkey, Turkey, and uh, we are also exporting to China. How do you view the role of China when it comes to the global supply chain network? It's very important. I think it's probably uh, the top uh, level, uh, China's importance, and China is giving a lot of value to the supply chain, and it looks like the sustainability uh, China sees as the world sustainability and peace uh, going through an economical and balanced trade between countries and between companies, a fair playing field. So with that outlook, I think the world is, will come to a better, uh, let's say, playing uh, field. Mm. Uh, Kurhan, let's talk about the relationship, the economic relationship, I would say, between Turkey uh, and China. So besides being the co-founder of TFI, you also represent Turkish businesses here at the Supply Chain Expo. And I just want to get your take in terms of how do you see the market potential uh, for Turkish businesses here in China? I believe the Turkish potential, uh, has a lot of potential with Chinese uh, counterparts. Uh, we can... Uh, so I will. I devoted my time to Daik and to Siat Business Association, and uh, I am holding the position of uh, chairperson for these associations. And uh, we have brought uh, a big delegation, for example, to this supply chain. It's like 40 businessmen, important 
and it's coming from different industries, from construction to energy to technology uh, to agriculture. Mm. So we have different representing different businesses, and I'm hoping that uh, we will find opportunities for every one of those businesses to partner up uh, and to invest in Turkey or in China, in third countries, together as joint ventures, because our experience showed that uh, Chinese people, Chinese business and Turkish, Turkey business has a lot of complementaries. Mm. So when we really partner up together, we create a stronger joint venture together. Yeah. And of course, TFI recently went public in Turkey. Can we expect more brands, I guess, here in the China market? Already some 1,500 Burger King stores. Can we expect more Burger King restaurants here in the China market? Or perhaps uh, Turkish foods entering the China market? This nation, Kurhan, of course, is a nation of foodies. We love our food here. Yes, I know very well. <laughs> and uh, I know how competitive and dynamic in this market. So we are always, uh, you know, trying to find ways and formulas and recipes to keep our success and put us on our toes. Uh, and uh, as a multi-brand manager, uh, of course, we have a lot of uh, headway, white way uh, for uh, new Burger Kings, as well as new brands we can bring in and have uh, this synergy uh, to serve our clients with multi-brand. Mm. So I believe uh, China market, uh, and we are happy that we have invested into China, and we will continue to invest into China and grow in China. Gurhan, thank you so much for your time. Maersk, being one of the world's largest shipping and logistics companies, has been conducting business here in China for nearly a century. My second guest is Jens Eskelund, Maersk's North Asia chief representative. We delved into various topics, ranging from bolstering global cooperation in clean energy supply chains to the evolution of China's supply chain landscape. Take a listen. Jens, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. As you were talking about how do we strengthen international cooperation when it comes to clean energy supply chains, right? So how is Maersk thinking about sustainability when it comes to your industry, the shipping industry? It is very, very exciting what is happening right now in, in the industry. Uh, we took delivery of the first world's first green methanol vessel uh, back in July, and we have another uh, 25 coming online uh, uh, fairly soon. Uh, we think China will be at the center of this green transition, not just because China is the world's largest trading nation, yeah. but also from a technical perspective and in terms of producing the fuel. As you know, today, China is importing most of its marine fuel, but we actually think that China in the future, future will be able to produce a lot of that green fuel, uh, relying 100% on resources that are uh, available uh, within uh, China. Yeah. One thing we have seen this year, because I think this year has really been a breakthrough uh, for, the, uh, for, for, for green shipping, is that the majority of new container ships being ordered are actually green methanol uh, uh, enabled. Yeah. So this is actually becoming the mainstream now. And a lot of these ships will be built uh, uh, in China. China builds around a little less, around 50% of the world's uh, ships. So, of course, this green transition is not going to happen uh, without China. On the fuel side also, I think China 
given uh, the engineering capabilities in China, given China's ability to build scale very fast, no. we think that China will be one of the absolute key places for companies to source that future green fuel. Yeah. Uh, Jens, I want to ask you about China's role in global supply chains, because as you mentioned, China is now the largest trading nation in the world. Uh, when it comes to China's role in global supply chains, have you seen that evolve? So China is now the largest manufacturing country, the largest trader. So what have you seen in terms of supply chain evolution in this country? It, uh, it all started uh, sort of in the, the, the uh, late 90s when China emerged on the global sta uh, stage uh, as a trading nation. And it really accelerated uh, after China's accession to the WTO in uh, December 2001. Mm. That was really the golden uh, uh, period where we saw year after year double-digit uh, growth rates in uh, Chinese uh, uh, ex exports. Uh, a fabulous time to be around uh, here. It's still a good time, but I think nowhere are we going to see such a long period of sustained, very high growth. Yeah. So China, during that period, those 10 years, really became an indispensable part of global supply chain, which it is today. Yeah. Jens, I want to ask you about the term resilience, because yes. when we talk about global supply chains, this term is being thrown around a lot. How does Maersk think about resilience when it comes to supply chains? I think it became very evident during COVID that just how, you know, chopped up uh, and sort of disjointed uh, international transport chains were. That was part of the problem that, uh, yeah. that, you know, our customers didn't have visibility into where the goods were. And, you know, if for whatever reason you hit a bottleneck in one location, how could you sort of reroute and how could you address that? Uh, so what we are looking at in Merck right now is actually to try to create that transparency, create visibility, you know, leveraging uh, a web-based uh, solution, uh, no. tracking solutions, and also AI. Yeah. When things go wrong in terms of sort of finding the solutions that can take us for what really, you know, linking each part uh, uh, of, 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 of the chain yeah. and giving, you know, that kind of, of insight to our customers. So together, if anything happens, we'll be able to devise the solutions that yeah. will make sure that the products arrive at destination when, uh, uh, when required and in the condition. So resiliency is one term that we hear about a lot when it yes. comes to global supply chains. Two other terms that have recently popped up. One is decoupling, another yes. may be de-risking. Yes. What do these terms actually mean to you when it comes to supply chains? I think, you know, what we're beginning to see, uh, and I think for good reason, is, is that countries are beginning to think uh, in the same way as, as, as companies. Uh, companies, and certainly after after COVID, uh, have had a high focus on, on de-risking, creating resilience, having a plan B, making sure that you're not only reliant on one location for key components. When you didn't have access overnight to, to, to cheap energy, that it, it really created a very, very difficult situation for, for Europe. And that was one of these situations that really, and, and COVID, by the way, also, we saw the impact when suddenly you could not get certain uh, products for, for a long time. So you had all these black swan uh, events, and governments are, for good reason, we believe, asking themselves, you know, how can we protect our resilience? What can we do to make sure that we remain economically viable as a society if whatever black swan event mm. happens? What is important is, of course, that it does not become protectionism. It needs to be tied into specific sort of security-related questions. We should keep in mind China has been doing the same for a long time. When you look at, for example, the five-year plans, uh, the 14th five-year plan that's focused on self-reliance in energy, self-reliance in technology, self-reliance uh, uh, in, in agriculture, it's a lot of the same thinking. 
what I believe needs to happen is that we take these big concepts and draw them down from sort of being abstract concepts and down to a concrete and specific commodity mm. level and then say, this commodity, is this truly critically important? Yeah. And then maybe there is a case. Yeah. What we should not accept it is when it sort of become, you know, protectionism for the sake of, of protectionism. Yeah. That we need to call out. Yeah. But what I think is important is uh, that we develop a common language so we are talking about the same things. And I think that is would be one of the ways yeah. that we can move forward on the, this agenda. China has a supersized market. There might yeah. be, I mean, saving is part yeah. of the, the Chinese yeah. mentality as well. But if you have a good product or service to sell, I think Chinese consumers will definitely open their wallets. Yeah, and, and, and I think you're right uh, theoretically. What we have seen, actually, when you go back and, for example, compare to five or six years ago, that the in absolute numbers, the imports from Europe into China in container terms are actually down quite a bit, whereas Chinese exports to Europe are up quite a bit. So if you sort of, you know, came from outer space and looked at it, then it actually looks more like China is de-risking or decoupling from Europe than the other way around. There's nothing in the data to suggest that Europe is de-risking or decoupling from China. Mm. But I think right now, one of the challenges wider challenges in the Chinese economy is how do you stimulate consumption? How do you grow that? How do you sort of make the middle class comfortable about going out and, and spending their savings instead of just, you know, collecting dust in the bank account? Uh, and I think that that will be when we we will have some hope that that, that will happen uh, uh, eventually. Okay. Final question, Jens. In terms of what does it take to succeed when it comes to the future of global supply chains, we, we spoke about some elements, right? So resiliency, I guess, in addition to agility, technology, anything else you think is yeah. vital? Yeah, I, I think really the um, the ability to, to, to adopt new te technology will be uh, be a big part of it. Mm. Uh, there will be whole new situation, uh, opportunities created by, by AR, AI in the way that, that you sort of can, can create uh, new opp opportunities and, and, and options when things happen uh, and, and play around with all the power. Uh, in, in, in the chain. Uh, I think decarbonization will, because it is an existential threat to humankind, will increasingly be a demand by populations that we are serious uh, uh, around uh, uh, that task. And then I think also we need to recognize that the world is evolving and yesterday will not necessarily, no, tomorrow will not necessarily be the same as, as, as yesterday uh, and, and be able to adapt to you know, new, new trade patterns new demands from, from, from our customers and a world in, in a constant motion. Jens, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. Sideline Story brings you all things sports related. The hottest topics, latest events, juiciest stories, all with a very personal take. Subscribe to Sideline Story Podcast for heated sports discussions covering events that are happening in China and around the world. Finally, I had a conversation with Eddie Chan from FedEx, of course, a global leader in logistics and delivery services. He shed light on China's key role in FedEx's global supply chain and more. Eddie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for joining us. Michael, thank you for inviting me. Great. Last year, you decided to expand operations at the Guangzhou Hub, which I find interesting. So walk me through this decision process, because 2022, we're still in the pandemic, and yet you decide to expand operations in Guangzhou. You mentioned that you set up your Asia-Pacific Hub in 2009, and this was in the depths of the global financial crisis. So walk us through the thinking there. A very uncertain world, and yet you're still making investments in these times of uncertainty. In fact, 
every successful company should make their decision based upon long-term and comprehensive analysis of the market, mm. not just focus what you have right now. So, in fact, that is the thought process of FedEx. We will the market with a long-term will, despite of those short-term turbulence, though. With that consideration, we are very confident to our development here in China. So that's the reason why we make the decision, even though from the outside, the point of view may be a tough period. Mm. I give you the example, though. As you mentioned, we announced to expand our operation in Guangzhou last year when the pandemic was peak. People question why. Yeah. A couple of reasons. First, I said, though, we are very confident towards our long-term development here in China. Second, the Guangzhou municipal government is a fantastic government. They have given us quite a lot of support, particularly during the pandemic periods, though. So with that, we are very, very confident to partner with them, though. Third thing, the e-commerce in China itself is booming even under the backdrop of the pandemic. Mm. So we always listen to our customers, serve their needs. So that's the reason why we make the decision to expand our operation in Guangzhou. Yeah. For me, it's a very good decision. So then what would you say are some of these structural growth drivers for FedEx here in China? You mentioned e-commerce. And my impression of the Chinese consumer is that they are willing to buy high-quality goods from all around the world. If you have a good product or service to sell to the Chinese consumer, they're going to open their wallets for you. So what kind of structural growth drivers do you see here in the China market for FedEx? Uh, I would say that a couple of them. Mm. First, as you mentioned, the e-commerce. Yeah. The e-commerce is booming. Yep. And then customers here in China, as you mentioned, are willing to buy stuff all over from the world if they, got the, if they think they are a good product. At the same time, though, China produces quite a lot of good, which with high quality, high demand from the outside world, though. Yeah. So that really makes the e-commerce business here is booming. Yeah. That is the e-commerce side. Simultaneously, though, the B2B actually is developing very well, though. Mm. That, I would say, the attributes to the comprehensive manufacturing ecosystem here in China. Based upon the United Nations industrial classification, China is the only country in the world with the most comprehensive manufacturing good. Mm. So that's the reason why, no matter what, the business here is doing well. Though. At the same time, though, I would say that the transportation infrastructure here in China are world-class. Mm. We have the excellent road system. We have the excellent railway system. We have the excellent ocean terminal. We have excellent airport. For us, transportation company, we really rely upon this excellent infrastructure to support our operation. China is a good place. So with those considerations, though, that is the reason why we will continue our investment here in China. Part of it is that we see the future here. Yeah.
And also, Eddie, I mean, Chinese consumers and Chinese businesses are increasingly sustainability conscious. How does FedEx think about sustainability? You really bring up a very, very good point, though. Yeah. Uh, based upon some statistic, the China Express market actually in the year of 2022 generate over 8 million ton of the waste paper. Mm. With the booming of the transportation market, every transportation company need to focus on sustainability. Mm. FedEx, as one of the leading transportation company in the world, we know our responsibility. So that's the reason why we focus heavily on sustainability. I would like to share a couple milestones with you, though. In the year of 2021, we set a very aggressive goal for us in terms of sustainability. We said that by the year of 2040, our global operation will be carbon neutral. We not only set an aggressive goal, we also walk the talk as well, though. Let's say from the year of 2009 up till the year of 2022, our daily package may be increased more than 149%. Mm. But at the same time, though, our, our carbon emission actually reduced 49%. So that means that our action on the sustainability worked very well. You may ask, okay, if that is the case, what you guys are doing? We focus on a couple of things, like uh, renewable energy, electric car, paperless transportation, and also the mindset change of people, though. Mm. For me, don't underestimate this. i give you the example, though. If you make use of just one waste paper after going to the toilet, versus if you make use of two waste paper after the toilet, though, quite frankly, depend upon your mindset. If your mindset had changed, instead of use two pieces of paper, you use one, you save 100%. You save 50%. So the mindset is important. We are very glad that our team member here in China and globally are very committed on this one. At the same time, though, we also work with our customer work with our business partner because we think that that should be the responsibility for all of us. Mm. Great. Eddie, thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much. Climate Watch is CGTN Radio's new podcast focusing on the impact of climate change. We have conversations with people on the front line about this critical issue. Listen to Climate Watch on all major podcast platforms and join us in taking action to save the planet we call home. Dive into news like never before with Deep Dive, the podcast from CGTN Radio. Join our global reporters for captivating stories and thought-provoking conversations. Search Deep Dive on your favorite podcast platforms and get ready to dive in.